Today's episode is entitled, A Pain in the Neck. We are going to explore, encourage, and hopefully help you navigate through setting boundaries and advocating for yourself, achieving at a high level and not apologizing for your success, and resilience. We all face challenges, crucibles in life, that make us or break us. What matters is how we respond to such roadblocks. That's really what defines us. Through inspirational stories from all walks of life, this podcast will provide you with techniques to overcome and grow from life's most challenging experiences. And now I'd like to introduce my guest on Crucible, Mrs. Sarah Aitenhan. She is a dance aficionado dancing with Ology, Chicago Dance Crash, and a choreographer and teacher at Muller Dance Academy in Chicago. She is a college graduate with a degree in psychology and with concentrations in dance and neuroscience from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. She is certified in aerial yoga, aerial fitness, and she's a registered yoga teacher. She's choreographed a national spot for Birchbox, directed a film for satellite dance entitled By Nature, which you can find on YouTube. I encourage you all to go out there and look at it. And she edited the photo photo book, The Fabric of Space and Time. She is a wife, a mom to my beautiful granddaughter, a performer. She juggles running her nonprofit satellite dance here in Nashville. So welcome, Sarah. Oh, hi, Mimi. It's great to be here. I'm glad to have you. We probably should first tell. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional already. Uh, I am uh, too. I've done a I lot. Know. I want to go on vacation. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> we probably should tell each other or tell our listeners, you know, how we know each other. Because I'm also Mrs. Aitenhan. And I realized as this morning that we're both cougars. Yes, we are. Yeah, that's one of our early bonding moments. So you exactly. are my um, beloved mother-in-law and one of my best friends, too. Uh-huh. It was uh-huh. love at first sight when I met your son in um, 2008. And when I met you in early 2009, it was the exact um, same, not the exact same spark and connection. Well, but, <laughs> well that's good. <laughs> But I mean, we just, you know, kindred spirits. You, know, you welcomed me with open arms on one freezing day in Chicago. And um, we've just been so close ever since. And I just feel so blessed and so loved by your family every single day. Wow. I'm getting emotional too. I know. Well, that's because you are blessed and loved. And, yeah. you know, I've shared with you this many times. And so has Kevin, my husband, <laughs> Kevin Aitnan. Uh, Ryan's dad, um, that, you know, we prayed for you for years when Ryan was just a baby, that we would, you know, that he would have a great spouse, that you would be a believer, that you would be exactly what he needed and wanted. And I didn't realize when we met you that literally you were the one. And um, he'd shared with me and met somebody, and, and correct me if I've got the date on these things wrong, but I'm pretty sure Ashley showed up with all of her girlfriends on your first date. Is that right? Or one of your first dates? Yes. And I didn't know it was a first date. I thought we were going out with our coworkers. We had met at a production studio in Chicago and we became fast friends. Um, In his mind, fast friends. In my mind, I met him and knew that he was the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And so when he called me to go to a a Husker bar, I was like, I don't even know what a Husker is, but okay, I'll go. And I just drive up and he was waiting for me with my drink of rum and Coke at the front door. And he goes, come meet my sister and her friends. (laughs) And I was like, who, what? Okay. And of course I met my future sister-in-law, Ashley. And the whole time she kept hinting, trying to understand, you know, the depths of my relationship with Ryan that hadn't even started yet. Little did I know that we were on our first date. And then fast forward a few weeks later, I still wasn't fully clear if Ryan and I were officially dating and kept talking about his parents coming to town and doing the architectural boat tour in the city and seeing Jersey boys. And these are all things that 
I would have wanted to do so badly. And I was like, well, it's kind of rude. He's rubbing this in my face a little bit. <laughs> like I want to, I want to go too. I want to meet his family. I'm ready to marry this guy, but I don't even know if we're dating. But only the day before did he tell me, okay, so we'll meet at the train station at this time. And I thought, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> I get to go see a play with my favorite music and I get to meet his parents. I get to start being in the family right away, which is the point all along. <laughs> right. Well, little did I didn't even know that, Sarah, but I knew that I knew that you were special because, you know, most guys won't introduce you to your parents unless you're really, you know, you're the girl. And that's especially <laughs> much- from out of town, you know, such a little time to spend together and to be included on not just one festivity, but the entire weekend. I mean, I was totally ready for it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. It's so fun to look back at that. And I remember before that, so I was like, so tell me about Sarah. And, he, you know, cause I, I was true trying to figure out, are they dating? What's going on? It's just a girl. And, um, and we should throw out a, um, a shout out there to Mitch Apley, who was one of my students yeah. from graduated from Geneva High School way back in the day. A lot of people will remember Mrs. Apley, who taught English forever. And um, Mitch actually had um, a studio where Ryan was going to intern. And we flew up, you know, and met Mitch and Mitch proceeded to tell me on the very first moment that we met that, oh yeah, Mrs. A, you gave me two in-school or in-school, out-of-school suspensions. And I was like, what? No, I didn't. (laughs) I was like, no, I didn't. It's like, as a teacher, I had no, you know, power to give anybody a suspension, you know? And then we laughed about that. And oh my gosh, I think it was Mr. Wallach was our principal at that time. And People will, in Geneva will totally remember all these <laughs> these names and eras. But anyway, it was because of Mitch that, and you were his assistant, right? Yes, I was. Very fresh. That was my first job out of college. And uh, I didn't know anything about how to be an assistant. And I don't think Mitch knew how to have an assistant. So we were quite an odd pair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are such good days. Yeah, simpler time. And um, man, big shout out to Mitch for bringing on Ryan, and big shout out to the guy who uh, closed his business in New York City and forced Ryan to move to Chicago to find work. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's and small town networking as well. You know, I I think I know somebody. You know that that was this work for. But anyway, I was going. I was headed to tell you the story about when I asked about about you. I said, "So tell me about Sarah." And he's like, "Oh, mom, she's got whale eyes." And I'm like, "What?" Like I'm envisioning, you know, you with your eyes on the side of your head or something, you know. And I said to him, "Are uh, I'm like, did you tell her that? Because I'm just mortified, you know." I thought if you're a special needs person, surely he's not, you know, going on about that. It shouldn't be an issue, you know, and and all that. And he's like, "She's got." He's like, no, what I mean is she's got the most beautiful blue-green eyes. And he actually took out his phone, of course, and had a clip from some either um, cartoon or a movie or whatever. And there was the whale. And literally, they had these ginormous eyes. And I thought, then when I met you, it's like, ah, now I get it. So it was just kind of a funny, crazy, awkward moment. I'm just like, what'd you tell her? He told me I had whale eyes. Um, at the time, it was so embarrassing. I had developed eczema on my eyelids and my under eyes. So they were really swollen a lot at the time. And it was just real. I was just icing them before every date. And he said, oh, you have whale eyes. I'm like, I'm not sure what that means. And so I Googled it. And if you Google an actual whale eye, it's like super puffy and inflamed. <laughs> Like, I, I have eczema right now. This is very hard for me. And he's like, no, 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 no. Google cartoon whale eyes. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he actually wrote a song. Uh, he wrote a song called Whale Eyes for me that I'll have to get him to reenact at some point. Oh, that's too funny. We haven't heard that one. We're going to have to have some drinks and hear yes, that one. Yeah. So. 
<laughs> anyway, well, let's dive into your story. So the pain in the neck. Um, yeah. yeah, this was one of your crucibles. You said you could share many of them. But um, anyway, I guess that's where we're going to go today. So I'll let you just take it over from there. Yeah, so Ryan and I <clears throat> were married for about six months. So this was uh, fall 2012 and just blissfully married. And I had finally gotten to a point in my dance career where I felt like I didn't need to juggle um, working in the production world. So, you know, working on film sets um, where I met Ryan, um, I felt like I could solely focus on being in the studio, working with young dancers, choreographing. Um, I did not have to audition as much for work and everything was just um, felt really balanced. And I think it was one of the few times in life where I really felt that that sense of balance. Um, however, I did notice that there were um, I was starting to feel a little bit lazy in my own practice. I felt like I wasn't quite keeping up with um, the level of intensity that was involved with the type of dance that I was doing, which was contemporary mixed with aerial, mixed with acrobatics, a lot of really challenging things. And I admittedly wasn't keeping up with my training as much as I should. Um, so I was in rehearsal one day and I was asked to perform a stunt, basically, a type of flip where I had to balance on the top of my head and flip out of it. And mm. I had seen this trick done before and I thought, wow, I've never successfully completed a headstand in my entire life. I remember trying to do it in high school and I just did not understand the mechanics. And at that point, you know, I didn't understand really being upside down. You know, I grew up in a ballet, classically yeah. trained ballet, <laughs> modern environment where upside down wasn't that much of a thing. Um, and so when I paused right before and I said, you know, headstands give me a lot of trouble. Is there anything else that we can try? And um, the person, the coach I was working with said, no, we're going to try this. And that was you know, the first warning sign where um, I knew I had more information than he did. I knew that I wasn't conditioning my body as much as I needed to, to withstand rigorous physical exercise. I knew that I had issues performing, you know, step one of three moves of this trick. I couldn't even master the first one. And so there were a lot of warning signs that went off and um, I was a dancer and I wanted to be compliant. I wanted to keep the peace. I figured if I, if I spoke up once, that was my one chance to speak up and voice my concern and it was dismissed. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe they know better than I do, which was a lie. You know, I'm the one who knows my body. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, I can't remember if it was, you know, how many times I tried it. Um, and I was also on kind of a soft, uneven surface. So I just felt really foreign in attempting this trick. And one, the one, you know, I can't, again, I can't remember if it was the first time or not, but I went into it and I just felt my body press into my skull. And when I tried to flip out of it, I just heard a lot of crunching and twisting mm. and mm. breaking. Wow. And I just remember next thing I know, I'm just sitting on the mat thinking, you know, looking down at my body thinking, you know, is my neck broken? Something happened. I don't know what, just this outer body experience that um, I had never had before. And I didn't say anything. I just said, we need to move on. And because it was clear you know, at that point when I tried, it was clear there was no amount of coaching in that single session that would make that trick be better. Um, sure. So we moved on to a few other things and I just felt the most intense pain I'd ever felt in my life from my neck all the way down to through mm. my spine. And then after that, I went to work. I went and I taught classes. I just stood in front of the class and used my voice. And then I told um, the owner of Muller Dance Academy, I said, you know, something really bad happened. I can't believe I got here, but something's not right. And uh, so I took a, a few days after that 
trying to recover. And, um, I thought it was just a series of muscle spasms and, um, things did feel okay for a while. So that was October. And then come January, 2013, um, I woke up and I was unable to move. I wasn't paralyzed, but, um, I couldn't breathe without experiencing Mm. the worst pain in my entire life. And so I woke up just gasping, sobbing. And at that time, Ryan was working from home and on a phone call and he was just, you know, he had no idea what was going on. He thought, you know, for sure he's asleep and she's waking up and she, you know, is looking like she can't breathe. And so we went to the doctor and that doctor's appointment really set off a series of events that, you know, once again, made me question my own, um, maybe doubt myself, maybe doubt what I was feeling in my body versus what other people were telling me. And so we went and took x-rays, which the x-rays, you know, don't really show a whole lot other than, you know, major muscle inflammation. They had lost my x-ray. So I didn't receive that result for three weeks or so. And then out, you know, in that time, um, I would, you know, I would be in a lot of spasm. My, I had a lot of nerve pain going through my arms and when I wasn't so inflamed, I'd recover and things would be okay until next thing I knew I would sneeze and experience the symptoms all over again. So I took multiple MRIs and they showed pretty severe damage on multiple levels in my neck. And because I was 26 at the time, let me see, I must have been just turned 27. Um, they, the doctors referred me to a physical therapist and a, um, a neuro or a neurosurgeon. Let me think, was it a neurosurgeon? No, it was a orthopedic surgeon. And because I was so young and had a dance career, they didn't want to they said I was a candidate for surgery, but they didn't want to perform surgery because they were worried that one, it wouldn't work when physical therapy could work. And two, they didn't want to go in and further damage anything, which would totally um, take me out of the dance industry altogether. So it made sense at the time, but you know, one thing again was I didn't feel like I could advocate for myself and say, you know, the type of pain and um, limitations I'm experiencing now are so severe. And I think dancers and athletes, they're used to, you know, quote unquote, playing through pain. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that is starting to change. Um, But at the time it was, you play through injury, you play through pain and you just suck it up. And so my level of pain was pretty shocking and startling and my symptoms were unlike anything I'd ever had before. But, um, you know, the doctors were telling me to just go physical therapy, despite what they were seeing on the scans were a pretty serious injury. Um, so it was a lot of, you know, conflicting things. And I just felt like I didn't have that sense of agency, that sense of inner compass to really speak up for myself in that time. And I went through two rounds of physical therapy. I received um, an injection in my neck um, to help with the pain. And all that time, you know, mm-hmm. I was taking less and less work. Um, I was having to take, you know, weeks off at a time because my neck would flare up and I, I couldn't move, I couldn't drive. So we went from, you know, a happily married um couple, Ryan and I, to, you know, a one-income household, which at the time was, you know, we were just starting yeah, out our sure, careers yeah. and medical bills. And um, so I had to take a full-time job. I had to go back into that world of production and meetings and events and which further the stress of that is something completely different for com- another type of crucible. Yeah. But, you know, I just watched <laughs> yeah. my dance career disappear because mm-hmm. I needed, I couldn't move in the way I, I couldn't move. I couldn't dance. And what I could do was sit at a computer, which as we all know, <laughs> with age that comes with its own type of pains, but I, we had to pay for my medical bills. Somehow we needed health insurance. And so it yeah. wasn't until let's see. So that brought us through summer of 2013. So at that point it'd been six to nine months since the actual incident. And I, 
Um, I was hospitalized once because I, I had such a, it was the only time in my life I experienced a panic attack where I thought that, you know, the pain in my neck was so bad. I thought I was, I thought I was dying Mm -hmm. and I was in the emergency room and they were just looking at me like, wow, this girl's crazy. They just shot, shot some Valium in my butt and sent me home, which is what I needed. But, you know, that was the big point where I said, I have to go back to the drawing board and see someone else. And so I saw um, a new doctor um, who was famous in his own right, because he actually used to perform uh, brain surgeries on gorillas. Oh, my. (laughs) Of course, course Ryan and I were like, oh, Dr. Anderson, he's the guy who performs brain surgery on gorillas. Let's go see him. So that was like our. He can help me. Yeah, through and through, we're like, we want to go see the gorilla doctor. That will be helpful. But he's a really beautiful man. Him and his, um, he had a neurosurgeon assistant at the time named Dr. Mustafa, and so Dr. Anderson and Dr. Mustafa, um, they were just. They looked at my scans. They saw they could just see in front of their eyes, you know, somebody that was just a shell of a person. And they said, mm. we have to get you to surgery right away. This should have been done because it was a traumatic event. Um, it should have surgery should have been performed right away. And when they ultimately did perform the surgery almost a year to the date from the accident, they said that once they looked inside my neck, that it was all sorts of chaos. Um, mm. And wow. so I, they said that the surgery went really successful and it did. There was a little bump in the road, finding out that I'm allergic to anesthesia. Right. So I remember that. My recovery. That's another crucible. Yeah. That was frightening. Uh, uh, totally frightening. And another yeah. moment in time where, you know, a team of doctors were saying, oh, just calm down. You just had surgery. So, you know, you're just scared. I'm like, I'm not scared. I'm so happy that I finally got the surgery I need to continue to live. Yeah. Why, yeah. Why, why am I having the symptoms? Like, Oh, well, you're just upset. I'm like, but upset people don't, you know, my whole body went rigid. Sure. And I, could, I couldn't move. And so that was one of the, the signs of that, that I was experiencing an allergic reaction, but outside of that, you know, immediate trauma after surgery, it was just clear that that's what I needed at the time. And so I went back to physical therapy and I saw um, Dr. Mike Kelly, who was just truly an incredible physical therapist. And I saw him for 14 or 15 weeks, about twice a week. And um, it was just such a sense of validation at that point to have, you know, your medical team say, yes, like we, we see the evidence of how much pain you're in and how unhappy you are. And we're here to help you heal. And so that was just a a big turning point in the whole, or being able to start healing both physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. I mean, when something like this happens, um, chronic pain and being dismissed and all these signs that you're not being taken care of, um, it can really change you. It changed me on, I think, a really cellular level. And um, yeah, it, it, while I was, it, it can take up to 18 months to two years to, re- to recover from the surgery itself. And so in that time, I've had another surgery and then I had Searsha, our beautiful daughter. Yes, and yeah. Then coming out of that, you know, it was just a whole, I feel like I'm still each day, each time I walk into the studio, I still feel like I'm dipping my toe back in the water. Hmm. I, I have to keep learning that the body I had at 26 before the injury is not the same body I have now at 35 after the injury, after having a child and just learning that, you know, bodies and minds, like, you know, I'm a resilient person and even though it's not, you know, my body isn't what I had before. It also taught me to take care of myself. You know, I, the way I've, I condition my body now is so much more thoughtful and um, I take so much more care in my body and I understand the way 
for the most part, the neuromuscular system and what I need to do to stay strong and prevent injury to take care of myself. You know, I, I didn't have, you know, I may have been able to do a lot of cool stuff at 26, but that was just sheer will and determination mm. and naivete. Mm-hmm. Now I can look at my body and my practice and see it as, um, as an ever-changing system and to honor it and to take care of it. And it, I just, I feel stronger than I've ever felt, honestly. Oh, that's amazing, Sarah. And the thing that you didn't share is that, and that I know is that you ended up having, well, probably fractured your neck is what I'm guessing, but you had your C4 through C7, is that right? Um, basically um, fused, fused together. Mm -hmm. They were able, so the, the levels, the C5, 6 level in my spine was the only level that needed to be um, surgically treated. The other levels in my spine did heal um, on their own. So there was, um, yeah, there were two or three levels that were problematic. C5 and 6 was where the brunt of the damage occurred. Mm, okay. And I'm now learning several years later, how long has it been now? It's been eight years since my surgery and I'm now realized, you know, I'm still dealing with pain from it. And what I didn't realize is I probably injured, um, a level in my thoracic spine. So in between my shoulder blades, Mm. because there was so much pain and radiation pain radiating from my neck. We assumed that it was just, you know, pain from that. But what, what we're realizing now is that I probably injured the injury went from my neck to my mid back. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, truly, it's like a, it's like you had whiplash like 10 times in a row is what, at least that's what I felt like when I, you know, um, seeing you before and after and um, it just breaks my heart just that, you know, to hear that mentally, you know, emotionally, spiritually and being dismissed because at some point when you, when you do have stuff go wrong with yourself physically, it starts to feel like you're doing it, you know, you're in this mental game of what's wrong with me. Oh, there's, and they're telling you, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just blah, blah, blah. You know, you need physical therapy. You needed surgery, you know, and it was the fact that you didn't break your neck is to me a total God, little angel that was over you, you know, helping you in that situation when let's do it again, let's do it again. And as a coach, how many times have I done that with my own students, you know, to say, okay, come on, let's stand up, you know, pick yourself up, you know, it's kind of like put up and shut up, you know, we don't, I don't want to hear it and, um, and not, and dismissing them as well. So, you know, my- And it's it's really taught me to be, um, going through this injury and then returning to, dance and returning to aerial acrobatics these are all thing these are all types of movement that carry inherent risk more right. so than other types of movement and i think through this experience i look at my students completely differently i i get some feedback that i'm too easy on them, but I'm really not what I'm saying. And what I say before every class that involves aerial activity, acrobatics, I say, unlike other dance classes, you do not have to do this. You can try Mm -hmm. one thing. You can sit back and watch. If you're scared, tell me you're scared and I'll be right here for you. If you say too much, say too much. And so I've really practiced with my students, um, them setting their own boundaries. And I say the fastest way to learn this type of activity is to sit back and to watch. Watch your ears. When you're ready, you can do it. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. I don't, you know, there are a lot of things I choose not to do. And it's ultimately giving, especially girls, you know, ages seven and up, giving them a voice to say, this Mm -hmm. is right for me. No, this doesn't feel good. And hopefully it can, um, expand beyond the studio because to your point being dismissed i think that's something that women have a really hard time still be especially in the medical field just everywhere you you speak your mind and then you're dismissed and you're made to feel like you are wrong or invalid 
And I experienced that firsthand so many times through this injury. Um, but the gift is, is that I, my goal every time I'm in class is to never make anyone feel like they don't have a voice over their own body. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. And I don't know if people actually understand, you know, what it's one thing on a podcast to just try to explain it, but the aerial dance that Sarah does is flat out amazing. And the fact that you've had the surgery, I mean, I have never watched you perform in all these years that we've known each other, right? And never knew that you had had, I would have never known that you'd had surgery or that there was anything wrong with your neck. So you'll be like 25 feet up in the air and then you tumble down and, you know, and all this choreographed, you know, conglomeration of silks tied around your legs and you unwind and unwind and unwind and then you'll land at four inches in front you know in this beautiful pose <laughs> and you're just you know literally static laying there and you know and it's it's gorgeous and i you know <laughs> as you plummet down it's just like <gasps> you can just feel there the whole audience there. like oh because <gasps> it is that feeling of are you gonna you know are you can it fall or what you know and then you just make it look so effortless and then you just stop and it's this beautiful you know with your legs all up in the air and you know your arms and you are just a buff person and i would have never known i mean seriously all the stuff we've seen you do and all those little kids that you you trained to do that you know and even Sirsha at age five when you you know mm -hmm. photographed that book and here she is swinging from the <laughs> from those silks and she's not a bit afraid she's got these tiny little pipes you know and <laughs> pointed exactly perfect like a ballerina and you know and and i she think i said to you for it she yeah. does and it's going to be you know a really interesting challenge is yeah, she she's starting today she's moved up a class in gymnastics and it is triggering for me and they say in this new level they don't want parents watching and uh, you know uh, i it's a really hard time for me right now because i feel i'm i'm so scared for her and i trust her and you know we practice at home you know she's a stubborn little spitfire but she tells us when something's not right and we don't push her through it. She says, I don't want that. And then Ryan and I will literally step back, put our hands back and say, okay, we heard you. And that's something I think a lot of um, girls really need. And so it's a really interesting time to watch her really take to that type of movement. And one thing um, that my aerial yoga teacher training has taught me is how to find um, a middle ground between this extreme circus-like activity. How do you find um, something therapeutic within that? Which is why I started Satellite Dance is I can look at an aerial apparatus. I can look at a silk and see ways that it can help me do things that I can't do on the ground anymore. You know, I can't do, I couldn't do a headstand or handstand before. I absolutely can't do that now. There's still residual nerve, you know, neuropathy that I experience. And so the apparatuses that we use are tools to help your body move through space in really beautiful and intricate ways and in ways that might not cause as much harm as, you know, training for a marathon or doing CrossFit, although there's perfectly safe ways of doing that as well, but gives people an opportunity to wow themselves and wow other people. It's like, yeah, you wouldn't know that, you know, a lot of the dancers I work with are on the autism spectrum, have you know, metal plates in their spines are right. over 55 years old and we're all doing the exact same things. It's because, you know, the training that we put together comes from a place of um, sensitivity and care versus pushing through, ignore your body. So it, I think there, yeah. there are different ways to get to excellence that don't involve um, pushing through pain, not listening to yourself. It's, it's quite the opposite. And I'm really excited for, you know, the next generation to come to take all the tools that we're laying down now and exactly. create yeah. a different, create a different world. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And, 
you know, we shared at the beginning of this that we were going to share ways of how to set those boundaries, you know, and advocate for yourself. Um, because I too, I felt I, well, I, I'm terrible at setting boundaries. I think some of that is just my personality. And we've talked both of us about, you know, how we're so much alike in, in so many areas. And yeah. for me, it was, you know, it's becoming a strength, but it still is really hard. It sounds really pushy. It sounds really rude. You know, I was taught never to speak back, you know, definitely to my parents, never sass my mother. My dad was from the South and that's just a cardinal rule in the South. You just don't sass your mama, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so those boundaries were always there for them. They were very rigid, you know, but myself, I just kind of sank back into the background, not wanting to get in trouble, being compliant, you know, not raising my hand, um, maybe not understanding, but figuring it out anyway, you know, on my own and um, being the peacekeeper. So there, there is a, a, a strength, you know, and a weakness within every personality. And for me, that peacekeeping was, you know, the, the bad side was just not setting those boundaries, but mm -hmm. advocating for yourself. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that I lived through that is completely different, but similar in the sense was having both of my knees replaced when I was 54. And I finally got to a point where, and I asked the doctor, you know, I'd been going to the doctor for four years. They were giving me injections, you know, I was then getting cortisone, you know, I was getting steroids and, um, and they were supposed to last, these shots were supposed to last, I don't know, a year, you know, well, six months maybe. And my insurance would approve it every six months. So I would go. And then it was like, it's not even lasting a month, you know. And I finally said, at what point do I, what what, what do I do with my knees? Because I had bone on bone on both legs. And same thing, being a runner, pushing myself, you know, long distance runner, wanting to achieve, you know, wanting and being successful at it, winning, you know, being a champion. And, um, and the doctor said it all comes down to, you know, your quality of life. Mm -hmm. So when you feel yourself start minimizing the things that you do in your life, like you're parking closer to the, the building because you don't want to walk as far or it hurts, you know, um, and he gave me this list of stuff and I thought, check. Yeah, I do that. Check. Yes, I do that too. Yes, check. I sit down at every single chance I can because my legs hurt, you know, <laughs> not my legs, but I mean, my knees are, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then having that surgery done and being in physical therapy with all these people at that point that were like 70s, 80s, and they're looking at me like, what are you doing here? In fact, they'd ask me that, you know, and it's like, well, you know, I'm, hey, what can I say? I got bad genetics as well. And um, but that physical therapy was the most grueling thing that I personally went through. And it was not just one, but both legs. So and I knew if I didn't do it at the same time that I would probably never go back and have the other one redone. Well, um, you bring up such a, um, a great point that I didn't quite realize myself. And I think, you know, it'd be great for other people to hear is that when something happens and it could be a big event or it could be, you know, knees getting to that bone on bone over time, you don't notice your quality of life shifting right away. Yeah. You're just making allowances. You're saying, okay, well, I'm not going to do this now. I'll take a step back now. Um, I, you'll notice you're not, you're, you're yourself, you're being everything who you are is being slowly chipped away. And it takes time and reflection to realize oh, this has gotten bad. You know, the idea of the toad in boiling water, you know, throw the yeah. toad in boiling water, it will jump out, but heat up the toad in boiling water over time and it will boil to death. You know, that, right. yeah. that metaphor um, really speaks volumes to people where they didn't, re you know, I didn't realize how bad it was until, you know, it, it took a long time of relearning that. Um, and so I think it's really important for people to know that, you could be going through something and not re and realize that that something is taking place over a long period of time. Um, and then at the same time, it's not too late to, it's never too late to get the support that you need to change that. It's never too yeah. late to change that. Yeah, exactly. And that is what I love about being a health coach because 
the people that come to me have finally figured that out. They're in the boiling water and they know they're in trouble. Um, kind of depends. We have all sorts of situations, but most people come to me and they're in, you know, real physical need and they need to lose the weight. They don't want to have a replacement. They don't want to have bypass surgery. Um, some people need to lose hundreds of pounds, uh, 150 pounds. We've helped a guy lose 186 pounds, you know, and he went from a, a life of just gaining weight because of medication, being on steroids, et cetera, et cetera, because of, and lost his thyroid, you know, had cancer, can't, you know, survived it all. And then knew he needed to take the weight off to being able to bike like 60 miles a day and biking in all these, you know, competitions and long distance biking. And of course he was like a high school four year state, you know, wrestling champion at his, wow. at his weight level. Right. And, and then we have people that come to us that just are so desperate because they, they just, and I can, I'll share my story. You know, I was just miserable, hated myself, hated the way I looked. And it was all that bad body image, you know, that I'd grown up and just had, you know, adopted, I guess, <laughs> probably because all of my friends, we were all the same way, you know, and um, just needing to lose that weight to just mentally emotionally feel better and it wasn't as much a physical issue however i did have it you know problems with my cholesterol but that's what i love about health coaching is these people truly have life transformations and they go from you know being morbidly obese to being able to buy clothes in a store that actually you know fit they don't have to buy them online you know they just and they only have one letter some of my you know my um clients will tell me, I just want to buy something that doesn't have an X in it, you know? And I thought X meaning, you know, like I'm thinking a, a graphic or something on their shirt. You know, it, I didn't even get it. They meant like an, like a three XL, you know, shirt. They were down to a two XL, then a one X and, you know, and then they were down to a large and, you know, and they were happy. So, um, yeah, just realizing that it, when it is time to make a change and if you're making those sacrifices to not live your life a hundred percent and not having that quality of life. It's for sure time to, you know, make it, make it change and, you know, have a difference. So, um, and one of the things I, I loved, we, we spoke about this earlier, um, just you and I on a different level, but achieving at a high level then mm -hmm. being a female. And I distinctly remember in high school, just playing down anything that I, especially my senior year, because I, you know, I was successful at a lot of different things. I started running on the boys cross country team because there was no girls cross country team, you know, had success at that. It didn't count because there was no girls team. The next year it did, you know, set records at every single meet I ran in because they didn't, they had never run like a mile race. It had just gone up to an 800 at wow. that time. It was an 880. It was all in yards, you know. Wow. Um, You're literally a trailblazer. <laughs> I was at that time. And then my senior year, you know, I'm up for homecoming royalty. I, you know, I wasn't the homecoming queen, but I was like the first runner up. So it was, it was a big deal. I was in a high, a big high school. And then I tried out for in January, I tried out for our musical and my best friend literally at that point unfriended me because I got the lead and I think she thought she was going to get it. I don't know. I, I don't know what she was thinking, but she was not that good of a singer. So, you know, <laughs> and the gal that I tried out with, we actually, co you know, we went to a coach, an acting coach and had that, you know, had her block the scene for us, you know, and, and we were, getting, yeah, we were private lessons. We just done, you know, the whole thing. So when we auditioned, then it was just like, wow, you could just literally see both our acting, you know, teacher and <clears throat> excuse me, our vocal teacher just be like, oh my gosh. <clears throat> and from that point on, you know, my best friend would never talk to me again. So it was like, all right, I just downplayed things and was in some bad relationships where as well, people were just jealous of me. And it was, it was so frustrating and it's taken me a long time to come out of that, to be proud of who I am and what I've accomplished and not, you know, to have to apologize because I'm a female or that I accomplished something and beat somebody else out, even if it's another female or, you know, it doesn't matter, but just being confident in, you know, in that success. And that's, 
one thing that I I know that Saoirse won't have to deal with. Yeah, I hope she continues to be vocal and proud of her accomplishments. And um, most importantly, she's happy. She's happy for others who accomplish as well. And um, celebrating her friends who get awards in school or do well in gymnastics. She can watch people and be happy for them. And it's important that um, she keeps that. I, I do value, um, I think something that Searsha, like our families and our families really have in common. And now Searsha is, um, genuinely finding all ways to be happy for people. I see my role in my life as being a cheerleader. Um, I'll constructively criticize, I'll help coach in my environments because, you know, that's how you the goal in my work is to help people, you know, progress in Mm -hmm. whatever they're doing. You want growth and you want to be challenged, but at the same time, um, I'm not going to be the rough over critical person. I'm not going to take that role as a teacher and a coach, and I'm not going to take that role in friendships either. I think people's internal dialogues about themselves are so toxic and not true these narratives about how no one's going to think more critically about me than me myself yeah so i don't need other i personally don't need other people to be critical and judgmental of me because there's no way that they could match the voices in my head yeah Um, I get it a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Yeah. That's how I treat my students and Saoirse. There's no one's, you know, even Ryan in our relationships, no one's going to be more critical of ourselves and ourselves. And so when we are having disagreements or we're trying to grow and change, we keep that at the top of mind with everyone we work with. And I think that's why Ryan and I are in these leadership roles is, we just want to be happy for people. Yeah, exactly. And any other inkling of jealousy, of course I get jealous, but I get jealous from afar now. When I'm in the same room with someone, I am only a pure happiness for them, especially watching them succeed. And um, I think hopefully in the world of dance that we can really start to move the needle in that regard um, to be in a room and engage with people that are doing well because it's only you're only drinking your own poison when you find yourself being jealous of other people True. and dismissive yes. but no what are they doing how could they help you how can you find a way to be happy for them um it's just a more peaceful way to live yeah exactly and it i think mindset that growth mindset you know uh, an open mindset is mm-hmm. everything and being above the line you know not dipping below, not saying the comments, you know, um, that's absolutely, at least that's what we do, you know, in health coaching. And I wish I would have known that like 30 years ago before I started teaching, you know, I would, but you learn as you write as you live and, and, and you go through those experiences. So, um, but one, one huge parallel is that this health coaching community that we're in is, is exactly the positive, Thing that you you want in your life and we you know kind of both got into this kevin and i by losing weight we had you know i literally had no intention to be a health coach i i thought okay i'll do it so i can keep my weight off because that's the thing that i always struggled with was yo-yoing back and forth <clears throat> and um then kevin of course came home and had to <laughs> lose weight because he was gonna have to go on blood pressure medicine um but I thought, okay, so I'll coach him, you know, well now here I am three years later and we just got back from Cancun from a trip. We did have to qualify for it, but we paid for the trip. It was super expensive, you know, and it was at this beautiful resort and it was worth every single penny that we spent because we got three hours with the top 2% of the company. And, and by qualifying for this trip, I guess we were part of that 2%. So that was really, you know, an encouragement to me, but those people there truly are advocates for wanting the best for you, for being happy for you, for not being um, competitive, you know, or, oh, look, you know, there's just none of that negativity. And um, it's such a breath of fresh air, you know, to, 
to be around people that really are wishing you well. And, and there's, you know, a commonality with everyone being successful at that level and that within, mm-hmm. within that organization. So it only makes you as a person more successful when you're looking out for the best interests of other people and for yourself. It's about finding, you know, again, with us and our boundaries, it's about finding that balance, of course, you know, how yeah. much are you giving yourself to someone else, to your client versus how much are you taking in? I think that that will always be a lifelong journey for me, especially because I might get stuck in that um, wanting to give and, praise and coach and cheer and lift other people up so much so that I look into myself and it's like, well, maybe I need to do that more for me right now. Yeah. And so I kind of, yo, you know, speaking of yo-yoing, I, I yo-yo emotionally. I, I always tell my students about budgeting their energy and mm. it's all these things Good that way. I just mm-hmm. need to say to myself because I do think that, you know, the more I find that balance and the more successful I'll be for them if I find that balance within myself. Yeah, and that's very true. And that is one of the topics that every single person would comment, you know, to us individually on um, <clears throat> was just that emotional energy and managing it well. And I've never thought about mismanaging my emotions until I got, you know, into this organization and, you know, into our life book. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is something I should have done, you know years ago but thank goodness i can do it now because yay you know i'm yes so and i've always been grateful and thankful for everything that you know god has blessed us with and we really tried to raise ashley and ryan both with that attitude of do your best be you know and be happy for other people congratulating be the first one to go up to them and shake their hand or give them a hug or whatever and i think that is truly shown um they have lived out that I think that, you know, premise, at least that goal that we had for them. So um, I I can attest to that as well. I feel that both Ashley and Ryan are two of the most amazing people I've ever met. And I love spending time with both of them when we get together for holidays. I don't think they realize (laughs) how much I'm sitting back and observing them and watching them be parents and watching them be kind to everyone and listening to them about their work and how they think about things. Because um, I'm not, as much as we have in common, I'm not wired that way. Um, They give themselves so much patience and grace and they give other people so much patience and grace and praise. And um, they're so successful be the best at what they do. And when I'm with them, you know, instead of feel, sometimes I feel a little intimidated by their level of accomplishment and their, oh, their ability to sleep <laughs> and their ability to sleep so well at night. Oh. I would like to, you know, it's a healthy, it's a healthy amount of like, okay, all right, maybe I, I, this can be an inspiring moment. Watch them, see how they do it. And is there any sort of takeaways? Um, and they're just, they do it with, so much sunshine in their hearts is just incredible and so i'm just very true and the avian family Uh, (laughs) they make me better (laughs) Uh, well sarah you make us better too and um i appreciate you being here today i'm not sure um we probably have to close close here but um i do encourage everybody to set those boundaries and advocate for yourself because you know you're worth it right God created us, created us in his image. And if that's not <laughs> a reason to advocate for yourself, I don't know what is, you know. So um, I just, I love that, that. Anyway, well, thank you, Sarah, so much. And I appreciate it. And thank you to all our listeners, you know, for tuning in today and um, listening to The Crucible. So there'll be more coming next week. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. Love you. Love you.